Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Have you ever had your imagination just fired up? Have you ever had something that has happened or something that you've seen or, or something that you've thought about a little bit and all of a sudden you're in a space, you're in a place where it's all you can think about and you think about what if or you think about what that would be like or what, what, what would that look like. Uh, perhaps for some of you, it's, it's thinking about a relationship, maybe a significant other. Uh, you're dating somebody and you think to yourself, what would it be like to be with them? What would it be like to be married to them? What would, what would life be like? Or, or perhaps it's, it's some sort of vocation or profession. What would it be like to be a doctor or a nurse? Or what would it be like to be a teacher or a mom? Or, or maybe it's, it's just that. It's thinking about being a parent. What, it, what will that be like? What will, be like, what will it be like when I'm a dad for the first time? What would it be like when we have a family? Imagination can be fired in a lot of different ways. And, and one of the ways that it gets fired for me the most is when I think about like, and see and watch movies. Because so often the people who create films do an incredible job of, of igniting imagination. In fact, I remember the movie that probably it impacted me the most, or at least in a way that I remember it. And it was the first Back to the Future film. Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox. Person in the, I think it was 80s, but all of a sudden has the ability to travel through time. And I remember the moment that I wondered and had imagination fired, and that was when he arrived in the city of the future. It was actually in the second episode of the movie series. He arrived in this city, and in the city, cars would hover, and he rode a hoverboard, and he would put his clothes on in the morning, and if you remember the scene, his sleeves would tighten up, and his pants would pull up, and his shoes would tie themselves so that his clothes fit perfectly, and I remember, I remember imagining and thinking about for, for days and for weeks, what would it be like to travel through the future? to the future and see what it is that's going to happen or better yet go back to the past and fix 
some of the things that I thought needed fixing, maybe in my own life or in the world. That's what happens when our imagination is fired with the wonder of a certain thought or an idea. It consumes us. And it's something that we can find ourselves, maybe you found yourself in this place, either you're driving down the road or sitting somewhere in a chair, and all of a sudden it's like 15 minutes have passed and you don't even know where the time went because you've just been thinking and considering this thing, this person, this activity, this event, the whole entire time. In our text from Luke 1 this morning, Mary is consumed. Her imagination is fired. There's wonder. There's wonder because something has happened that changes everything, not just for us. Certainly, we know that, and we know that now. But for her, everything is changed in her present because an angel shows up and says, here's what's going to happen. And, and certainly we hear Katie speak, and maybe you moms can put yourself in those sorts of spaces, places if you've, if you've uh, had a child, you think to yourself, wow, what if all of a sudden someone told me that my child was God? Of course, it would be something that you would wonder if that person is crazy, first of all, or if you're going crazy, but what if you know it's true? And especially knowing who you are. Think about all the stuff that Mary knows about herself. She's young. And because she's young, she would be ignored. She would be somebody that no one would notice. Maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, probably, is the time that she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that's about the time in her life, and you didn't notice 12, 13, or 14-year-olds unless you were a, a prospective suitor or that suitor's family. They were just someone to help out with the chores, do the work, because frankly, the males were more important, and that's also part of the problem for Mary is that she's a woman, in a patriarchal society where men rule the day, men have power, men have authority. She was second class to the men in her world. She knew this. Not only that, but as Katie shared with us, as Mary shared with us, she was from Nazareth. And nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's the backwoods. It's that part of the world where you think, what good can come from that spot? Maybe in, in our context, it's the backwoods of Kentucky or something like that. Or maybe the, the inner city where it's tough and rough and hard. What good is going to come out of those places? That's the sort of place that Mary was coming from. And finally, she's engaged to a carpenter. Now, I have absolutely uh, no hesitation in believing that Joseph was a hard worker and that maybe he did himself proud as a carpenter, but he would have been lowly. He would have been poor. 
you're from Nazareth and you're a carpenter, oh, you might have work, but you're definitely somebody who's not making sure that your summer house is rightly equipped and furnished. All of these things are things that Mary knows. And the angel comes. And the angel says this. Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You got to imagine that moment for Mary. You got to wonder. She knows I am young. I am a female. I am from Nazareth. And I am poor. How does that show God's favor? How does that show that I am blessed? I feel like I'm lost. I feel like there's really only a couple things that I can count on in this life. I'll probably have some kids. I'll, I'll probably have a small house maybe someday of my own. I'll, I'll probably, uh, you know, maybe Joseph and I will have a good life together, but it'll be quiet. It'll be small. It'll be easily forgotten or missed. And here's an angel who says, greetings, you are highly favored. You're blessed. And here's why. Had to just blow Mary's mind. Mess with her. Make her wonder, who in the world am I that you would call me blessed and favored? And not only that, but remember that in the Old Testament, many Jews didn't experience a God that was present and powerful and personal with them. An Old Testament God often felt distant. An Old Testament God felt some, somewhat unapproachable. In fact, for Mary, the temple was over 50 miles away. That's where God lives that's where God shows up. That's where God is present. He's in the holy of holies. I know because, because Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, he, he went there. That, that's where you go to meet God. You don't, you don't sit in your house in Nazareth and have an angel show up in your life and say, greetings, you are highly favored. Now, this is Mary's experience, but what about us? And how do we experience this, this interaction with God, the, the, the personal interaction with God? I would hazard a guess to say there's oftentimes, and I know for my own life, when I don't experience that personal interaction. And not only that, but I can see the difficult things in my life. I can see the challenges that I face in my own life, and I can see the challenges that people face in their lives. And it's no wonder that there are times and circumstances that make people feel like they are beneath God's concern. It can be social reasons. You're, you're rejected by others. It can be economic reasons. Maybe you're poor and you, maybe you, you just don't see prospects for that changing. It can be relational ones. You're lonely. You feel isolated. It could be cultural. 
You're of a, a race or a culture that feels second class and rejected in our world. Or it can be spiritual. It can be something where you simply don't feel like God notices you. What is God going to do with me? How, how can God use me? I, I don't have many gifts, and the ones that I have aren't big ones. I, I, I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've messed up opportunities maybe for me to grow or advance my situation, and so those opportunities are gone. So maybe God was trying then, but, but now he's not. Or we can even feel sometimes when we're so caught up in our own sin, our own self-condemnation, our own burden of guilt that how could God notice me? Because if he did, all he would see is someone that maybe he would reject or move to the side and bring someone forward who's maybe more holy, that's better than me, that's more good. You can imagine that we hear phrases, I've heard phrases, and I've even thought them myself, myself at different times. Does God really care? Does he really care about me? Am I really worth his time? For all that I know about myself, for all the failings that I have in my own life, for all the brokenness that I have experienced in my own life, am I really worth the time of God? Because chances are I'm going to mess it up. Chances are if he invests in me, if he puts his time, his energy, his Holy Spirit's power in me, I'm going to make a mistake. And the thing is, is he knows that. So maybe he should just pass over me and use and work in the life of someone else. And this can make people feel abandoned. I feel like they're facing circumstances on their own. Certainly right now in our public discourse, Ferguson is a loaded word right now, isn't it? We've seen the events of the last few months. We've seen the challenges that that community certainly faces in the aftermath of what has happened. And certainly we've also seen that it's spread throughout not only our country, but even to other places in the world. This idea of injustice, this idea of anger and frustration now, I know that there are lots of sides to this issue, and I know that there are probably a myriad of perspectives on the issue here in this room. But it was interesting because I, I, I read an interview. I, read a, 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 I was reading an article, and in the article there was an interview with a local woman from Ferguson. She was, I think, in her 50s. She was black, or she is black. And... Um, they were asking her how she felt about the protests and specifically the violence in the protests. Burning, looting, assaults, all the other stuff. And her words were this. 
she said this, a person who lives in that community, a person who knows many of the people who are involved in what's going on, she said, of course I hate the violence. Of course I hate that things are being burned and that there are people doing loads of foolish things, including the police officer who shot. All that foolishness is a waste, and I hate it. But I understand it. And the reason I understand it is because I live here. And in this place, it's easy to be angry sometimes. You get angry when you see your grandkids go to a school that is on the bottom of the list in the state for test scores and ability for those kids to advance. You get angry when your son, who actually has some skills and abilities, can't get a job, and when he does get a job, it's not a very good one. And not only is it not a very good one, but when opportunities for advancement come, he doesn't get it. The other person does. And often that person is white. And you can read that any way you want, she said. But when that happens over and over and over and over again, at least you feel like it's happening, after a while, you become hopeless. And when you become hopeless, you never know how things are going to work. And in Ferguson, there's a lot of people who feel hopeless. When you're hopeless, you get angry. When you're hopeless, you give up. When you're hopeless, you say and do foolish, stupid things. I hate the violence, but I understand it because there's a lot of people here who are hopeless. That's the power of hopelessness. But the beauty of our text this morning is that our text speaks hope. Remember Mary's circumstances. She, of all people, in her context, in her time, could have felt that hopelessness. She was Jewish, a people under oppression, a woman, poor, uneducated, from Nazareth and young. She could have felt, could have known, perhaps even before the angel shows up and she and Joseph make the trip to Bethlehem, perhaps she's felt that hopelessness. In her song that she sings, she gives us some clues into why she has hope. There's two words there that I want you to take notice of. And that is two words in verse 48. The first one is to be mindful. You see that in your text. A better translation is actually to have regard for. What she's saying there is that God has regarded her, noticed her, touched her. She is no longer the ignored. She is no longer the passed over. She is no longer the one rejected for someone who might be better. She has been 
regarded. And not only has she been regarded, but who has she been regarded by? God, the creator of the universe. The one whom you thought was distant has made himself known powerfully, personally, in your face, in your presence, and in your body. The regard that she feels, God being mindful of her, changes that idea that God doesn't notice me because the angel has announced to her, oh, yes, he has. And he noticed you even in your humble estate. That word is a social or an economic word. She is down on the list. She is far down on the list. And yet, despite how far down she is on the list, God has regarded her and noticed her, passed over those who were higher on the list, passed over the names of the thousands and the thousands of women her age in whatever context they were and regarded her in her place, in her time. Despite her humble state, And then the rest of her song reflects how God puts all of humanity on equal standing. You see the words? You see the words from verses 51 through 53? They're words of equality. Brings humble up. Lowers the wealthy down. Brings brings up those in, in lowest state and brings down those in high estate. It's an equality equation. Taking away that humble economic differences, those differences and distinctions, and making them equal. Before God, Mary is singing, I stand in the same way that someone who is a priest in the temple, someone who is one of the Sanhedrin, one of the religious rulers, one of the most powerful people in all Jerusalem. God has done this. And not only that, but God has actually done more because he has favored me in his regard. And we see what the source of these things, this stuff that God does in bringing people equal is. First of all, it's his mercy. God doesn't leave people in their humility, in their downtrodden state. He shows mercy and brings them up again. Why? Because he's faithful. He always has been. Covenant promises with Israel from the beginning of Abraham, from the beginning with Adam, from the beginning of time, God has been faithful, and that faithfulness reflects his mercy. He's always done this. That Mary should be surprised should be a surprise. Because this is what he does in all circumstances. First of all, he, in the Old Testament, takes Israel. Israel is, they're the Jews. They're the ones who always get stuck. They're the ones who always get taken over. They got taken over by Egypt. They get taken over by the, the Philistines. They get taken over by the, 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 the Syrians, the Babylonians. They get taken over by Rome. And yet, God in his mercy raises him up over and over and over again. And now, out of that faithfulness that he has shown so often before, he shows it again. 
and this time in the most intensely personal way that can be known. God unites himself with a young, young woman for the salvation of the world. That's a raising up. That's being held in regard. That's being blessed, highly favored. Yet again, he shows himself to be faithful. And as we see this for Mary, we can be reminded that it's truth for us. God has done it over and over again in the text, and he's done it over and over again in our lives. And if we take a moment, stop and think, we will see it. We will remember it. We will be mindful of it. We will know that God is who God is, and he never forgets us, no matter where you are. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how lonely you might feel, rejected you might feel, isolated you might feel, bogged down in your own sin, your own foolishness, your own pride, you know when you're in that state and you may think to yourself, God isn't noticing me, God doesn't regard me, and yet we see here that that's not the God we believe in. God, we believe in, is faithful. He is merciful, and he always is so and will be so. Those, verse, those words from verse 28 are ours. And they may not come from an angel, but they come to us through the Holy Spirit. It speaks to us and reminds us that the most powerful being in existence knows us, and love us, loves us, and sent Jesus for our sake. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to share with you the personalness of communion. For us to be reminded that this is for you. It's for the church, but it's for you. Because the creator of the universe knows you, loves you, has called you, redeems you, is merciful to you, shows his grace to you. Insert your name here. And he does so over and over again. Regardless of our circumstances. Humble. No matter what humility means in our life. No matter what your humble circumstances are. Lack of education. Poverty. Social standing. Isolation. Immaturity. Whatever. Christ is present with us all, holding us in regard and elevating our humble estate. You know, I, I've imagined heaven many times. I don't know about you. I've wondered. I've thought about it. I, I, I've wondered what it will look like. I've wondered how it will all go. I wondered what, what exactly will happen after the trumpet sounds and the judging of the living and the dead, what my existence with God is after that. But here's, here's something that at least, I, 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 I don't know, I think it's biblical, but at least gives me some comfort and reminds me who I am in God's eyes. That at some point in eternity, I don't know, maybe it's day four, 
Maybe it's day 17,654,354,028 that God will come to me and he will look at me and he will look directly into my eyes and he will say to me, as he would say to all who are in his presence. He will say to me, I love you. And I did all of this for you. And I've known you from the beginning of all things. And when I was creating things, raising a daisy, when I was forming an aardvark, when I was picking up the San Bernardino Mountains and putting them in place, I was thinking how much you'll like it and how much it'll bring you joy and life. And he will look at me, and those words won't be for anyone else in that moment. Everyone else will have their moment. And I don't know. I don't know that this will happen, but it gives me some hope and comfort because it reminds me that the one who set all of this in place knows me and knows you in your humble estate just as he knew Mary in her humble estate. When she stood in that wonder moment of believing this is all true, that's the moment that I need. Uh, through this Advent. Yes, trees. Yes, presents. Yes, programs. Yes, parades. Yes, all of it. But even more so. The wonder, the wonder that all of this is for you. Bethlehem is for you. Would you pray with me? We praise you, O God, that you do know us by name, that you did know us from the dawn of time, and you continue to know us, and you regard us in our humble, humble state. And more than that, you love us. Have given us hope, have redeemed us from hopelessness, in Jesus Christ, have given us a purpose, have given us a reason to do what it is that we can do for your kingdom, a reason to be thankful, a reason to live in gratitude, a reason to live in faithfulness to you. Father, you've done all of this regardless of who we are, of our failings, our weaknesses, of whatever sort of state we're in. You know us, you love us. And you're never going to stop that. And we praise you for that. Because it, it's one thing that for many of us helps us get through the day. Helps us live into the difficulties we face, the challenges that we got. Lord, that gives us hope that you regard us, that you look at us and you say, greetings, you are highly, highly favored. And God has noticed you. And he loves you. 
And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.